My thanks to both Stephanie and to Sherry this morning for uh, preaching quite well already. You may wonder what's left to say. Um, we're going to begin a sermon series today for weeks on the, the book of Joshua, but we're going to begin at the end of Deuteronomy today. So if you're looking for the scripture to find, it's Deuteronomy 34. We'll get there in just a moment, but you're certainly encouraged to find it in a Bible, on your phone, however you're reading scripture these days. Use that, that method. I'm fine with that. Any translation. My philosophy of translations is use them. So whichever one you're using, go for it. This last, uh, it, it continues to be said, and so we won't say it much today other than to make a simple point. Last year and, and even into this year has been a year of uncertainty. No need to recount all of that. I will be happy when the word unprecedented gets retired completely. Uh, there's no reason to say it anymore. But um, we all know the reality. I will say this, though. Like I say, we don't need to recount the experience of last year and even as we enter into this year. But there has been much anxiety, loss, and fear that's come along with it. And I think we've all experienced it at some point or another in this past year. Or a, a sense of wonder. Uh, in the, not in the good sense, in the bad sense of what's going to come next, what happens now, how do we make plans in this, and that's just the problem. When there's anxiety, and then when there's loss, and when there's fear, and when there's this uncertainty that sits in the air for so long, after it doesn't take long for us to begin to question the future a little bit more, and begin to question what happens next, how do I even plan for this, right? This happens with our schedules, this happens financially, this happens in all kinds of different ways. Uh, we're hesitant to make plans, and we're uncertain when we're fearful, when we're anxious, when we're all of those things. Israel is in that, at that place as well. They're just coming out of that place uh, in Deuteronomy 34, where they can see the promised land, where Moses gets to see the promised land. For 40 years, they basically have been living out of a suitcase, and now they've got to see what's coming and faithfully move into that. And the question comes to mind in those moments, how do I move forward? How do I go beyond where we were and what we've lived into and, and the, the temporary became permanent in a sense for them, just wondering and waiting what's next? How do we move on? And there are many examples throughout Scripture of moments where people were called by God to do something where they didn't know what was going to happen next or they were called or, and or they were called to do something by God that was going to require a tremendous amount of courage and trust in God. It's all over scripture. Just a couple that came to mind this week thinking through just Old Testament. Uh, Abraham, which is the start of this whole story, and this is the next one of the later chapters of the Abraham saga, being asked to leave his home and his family and move to a land that I'll show you, God says. You just start going. I'll show you. Gideon, there's a great example. Uh, the people are in the book of Judges, which is just full of these kind of examples of people needing courage and resting on God's faithfulness and not always doing that. Gideon, you know, they're threshing in a cave, threshing wheat in a cave at that point, living in fear, which is like making microwave popcorn without a microwave, right? It doesn't work. That's what they're doing. They're living in fear and not even living, thriving in the least bit. And Gideon has to kind of step forward and God has to say, okay, I've got this, but you need to courageously step forward. You can see it with someone like Deborah and what goes on with Deborah. You can see it with Elijah, Nehemiah, all through the Old Testament. You have these characters where people are called by God to do something and sometimes it takes an awful lot of courage and it certainly takes an awful lot of trust of God, recognizing that God is faithful. Here we have Moses and Joshua, the transition of leadership from Moses to Joshua happening in Deuteronomy 34. 
As we heard Sherry said so well this morning in our welcome that we are disciples who make disciples at First Covenant Church. That's our goal. We want to follow and spread the good news of Jesus Christ wherever we go. We want, to, we want to be challenged to be more like Jesus at every turn, and we want to invite others into that life and walk with them as they enter into that life to expand the kingdom in that way, in season and out. And if we're disciples who make disciples, some days that's going to require some courage on our part. And every day, that's going to require trust in the faithfulness of God. And in times where things are uncertain, like now, it requires even a little more of those things. And so we can recognize in the case of Joshua, as we walk through that book, that God leads even in messy times. God provides even in messy times. When God calls, we follow He walks with us, but more importantly, he goes before us, and he calls us to faithfully and courageously follow him. And we're going to use the book of Joshua as a case study to look at how we do that when there's an awful lot of courage required in uncertain moments, but yet God has called us forward. So let's look at Deuteronomy 34. We will read all 12 verses of that chapter. And verse 9 is our focus text that we'll come to a couple times, so don't close your book. It says, Then Moses climbed Mount Nebo from the plains of Moab to the top of Pisgah, across from Jericho. There the Lord showed him the whole land, from Gilead to Dan, all of Naphtali, the territory of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the Mediterranean Sea, the Negev and the whole region from the valley of Jericho, the city of Palms as far as Zoar. Then the Lord said to him, This is the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, when I said, I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your own eyes, or with your eyes, but you will not cross over into it. And Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in Moab, as the Lord had said. He buried him in Moab, in the valley opposite Beth Peor. But to this day, no one knows where his grave is. Moses was 120 years old when he died, yet his eyes were not weak nor his strength gone. The Israelites grieved for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days until the time of weeping and mourning was over. Now Joshua, son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him. So the Israelites listened to him and did what the Lord had commanded Moses. Since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, who did all the signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his officials and to the whole land. For no one has ever known, shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. This is the word of the Lord. For 40 years, the Israelites have been wandering in the desert. They've been essentially camping out in the desert during this time. The promised land awaits, but they were not able to enter for that 40-year period of time. Why were they wandering for 40 years? Well, at the beginning of that 40 years, they were rebellious. And we should point out It wasn't just that they were rebellious. It was that they were rebellious when God was faithful. 
they rebelled against a faithful God. And they did it repeatedly, over and over. So they, rebel they were rebellious when God was faithful. They were rebellious when God provided freedom instead of slavery. They were part of the ten plagues. They watched at least half of them happen in their own land of Goshen, and then the others didn't happen. They were spared from some of those. They put the blood on their doorposts on the night of Passover, and the angel of death passed over them, and they were spared. They crossed the Red Sea and then watched as the Egyptian army coming after them was folded over into the Red Sea, and they were spared. They were rebellious against God when he was faithful. They were rebellious against God when he delivered them through the ten plagues, the Passover, and the Red Sea. They were rebellious against God when God provided provision, when they got into the desert on the other side of the Red Sea. And they said, Moses, did you bring us out here so we could just die of thirst? We'd rather go back to Egypt. They got water from a rock. Not Iraq, a rock. That was unclear. When they, they were a little further along, Moses, did you bring us out into the desert just so we die of hunger? They got food from the heavens, dropped down on them. And not only that, enough so that they didn't have to collect it on the Sabbath and could rest on the Sabbath day. They were rebellious when God was faithful. They were rebellious when God provided freedom over slavery. They were rebellious when God provided food and water in the desert as they were going towards the promised land. They were rebellious when God provided leadership to take them there. Moses, uh, we know he was opposed by Pharaoh. That's no surprise. That seems like it, we'd be surprised if there wasn't opposition. But he was opposed by his own people repeatedly, over and over and over again, even by his own family on a number of occasions. Now, by the end, if you notice the little sort of eulogy section of this in kind of two parts, in Deuteronomy 34, he's mourned for 30 days, and then he's recognized from that point on, and even today, as, as the greatest prophet of Israel, essentially. He's a remarkable character. It wasn't always so. He wasn't always recognized as such a great leader. They were rebellious. God, provided, God was faithful. God provided freedom. God provided provision. God provided leadership. And they were rebellious when God provided a home. They're finally at the edge of the promised land. They send over their 12 spies. And 10 of the 12 spies come back and they say, you know what? There's giants in that land. There's no way we can conquer it. No way. And they, they spread rumors so that they don't have to do it, so that they can avoid doing that tough work. They're looking to the past for their salvation, not towards what God has provided in their future. They lived in fear instead of the belief that God is able. They were rebellious repeatedly, over and over, when God was faithful. Egypt had been harsh, but at least they say we had food. At least we could predict what the days were going to hold to some degree. At least we knew where our homes were. And now the new land had plenty of food. Land flowing with milk and honey. They bring back some of the bounty, those 12 spies, when they went across. And bring back some of that to show what, what was there. But there are giants there. We can't go there. Those people are too strong. They were rebellious when God provided freedom, when God provided leadership, when God provided food and water, when God provided the promised land. 
every single step of the way, they're asking the question, well, God was faithful back then, but is God really that faithful today? They're constantly asking that. And the reality is that rebellion against God has a cost, and they paid it. And it's not just one rebellion against God. It's not just two. It's multiple over and over. There's, there's a heart issue going on here, that they are in their hearts rebellious against God. And so because of that, they don't experience the presence and promise that God has for them in the promised land. Now, the tough reality of this is as we look at Moses, Moses pays the price as well, right? There are faithful people in Israel who aren't rebellious against God, and they end up paying the price as well. They don't get to enter the promised land. The whole generation does not get to enter. Moses stands on Mount Pisgah and looks over. He gets to see it but he doesn't get to enter the land. It's a hard reality. And it does bring to, to mind a question as we kind of look at it towards ourselves, towards an application of ourselves. If I'm faithful to God my whole life, but all I seem to experience are opposition and hardship, is God faithful or is God unfaithful? Moses would say, of course not. God's completely faithful. Of course not. Moses doesn't pitch a fit that he doesn't get to see the land. Right? Even if the world around us rebels, we are to be faithful because we're living in response to God's faithfulness. That's what Moses was doing. He was living constantly in response to God's faithfulness. Moses had his bad days. We know that. He has moments of doubt. But you can see over and over he continues to live more in response to God's faithfulness by being faithful himself. It doesn't matter if he's going to see the promised land. He's a leader who's going to lead them to the promised land faithfully because God is faithful. His reward wasn't the promised land. His reward was the relationship he had with God the Father who he saw face to face. That means he just was really close to him, closer than anybody else. As we, uh, I, I was thinking about this this week because the, the specific name of Mount Pisgah I always find interesting. Mount Nebo, if you're looking for it on, on a map today, you can actually go, you know, if you want to Google it later or go onto YouTube and, and look for tourist videos of Mount Pisgah, you can see the view. It's kind of interesting. Some of them are not very well, not very good cinematography in some of them, but you can see really basic, you know, view of what they saw, the Dead Sea and, and a little bit of kind of Jericho in the distance. It's kind of fun to see. But I'm impressed that, that in days past, and as you travel across even our own country, you'll sometimes see the remnants of people naming places after important biblical moments. And, and there's a cabin in Colorado that I've done a number of retreats at that a friend of mine owns. And it looks onto Mount Pisgah in Colorado. It's not a big peak. It's not a remarkable peak. In fact, uh, why don't you put it up there on the screen? That's the, the last time I was there. I took a picture of it. And it's the, it's the little knob right there, peak. Nothing remarkable about it. It's pretty low, except that people like to hike it uh, because you get a good view from there. In fact, a remarkable view for such a short peak. But it's interesting to me, if you go into the town next to it, Cripple Creek, uh, you can take the Mount Pisgah uh, funeral or cemetery tour, which I've not done myself, but uh, you can see pictures in a couple of the museums of people picnicking on Mount Pisgah from, you know, the 1800s. So it's a mining town, still an active mining town today. And you can see these things, and you, you think to yourself, I wonder if they knew the story as they picnicked on the side of this. And I bet some of them actually did know the reference. 
We need those reminders in our life, even if it's something uh, this simple, of those moments where God has been faithful. This, this is a marker and a moment for Joshua in his life of where God was faithful. As Moses stood on Mount Pisgah and as the, the transition of leadership is handed over, this is a moment where they see what's coming and God continues to deliver on taking them there, on providing for them his promise. And so the question for Joshua is, as he takes over this leadership role as Moses dies, what did Joshua need to remember as he entered the promised land, as he moved on from the mountain into the land with the people? We'll get to uncover all of this as we go into Joshua, but two things uh, stand out to me as we consider this transition of leadership. The first thing is that God chooses leaders to lead people to him faithfully. That's the first thing. God chooses leaders to lead people to him faithfully. The book of Joshua, as you get into it, will present Joshua as the new Moses. That's how kind of the first five chapters really present him that way. What you see if you go to chapter, verse 9, it says, Joshua, son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him. That laying on of hands is an important moment of continuity of leadership. God has been faithful. God's going to continue to be faithful with the next leader. All that God was doing through Moses now is going to continue on through Joshua. And he's going to continue to faithfully move the, the people forward. Moses paid the cost for the rebellion of the people. Leaders sometimes do that. Yet, look at what Moses' faithfulness does. It wasn't just about getting to the promised land. His faithfulness laid the foundation for the next generation to keep moving forward. That's what he was doing. He was leading people faithfully to him, not just for him and the generation living, but the generation that was below them and even the generations that didn't even exist yet. He was moving forward to help make sure that they had a future faithful to God. Even if we're camping in the desert ourselves, even if we think we're, we're at those moments in life, sometimes we can still see the promised land if we're looking because God is faithful, even if we don't get to make it there. We can still live in faithfulness to the promises and presence of God, even if we ourselves feel like we're in the desert camping and looking over into the promised land. I think of Simeon and Anna in the New Testament. They got to see the Messiah. They waited their whole life to see the Messiah. They kind of had this, this message from God that they would get to see the Messiah, but they only got to see him as a baby, and then they passed away. And they were pleased with that. God had been faithful to them. And we can see that, um, I can see that in, as a father, in my own kids, as they start to awaken to what faith in Jesus Christ looks like. Right? I, I have high hopes for them. I can, I can see the promised land, but I want to walk them further and lead them into the promised land as a parent. My two goals are that they would love Jesus Christ and love his church as a parent. Those are my, my parenting goals, and everything else will fall in place underneath that. I can see the promised land. I want to lead them to the promised land. We as a church, we need to be involved in, in constantly setting up the environment where future generations can come in and be led to the promised land with us and find salvation in Jesus Christ in this place and be discipled and nurtured in the faith. Not just set up for one generation, but set up for all that would come and able to